Welcome back to Sound Insight. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I love you, and I thank you, and I praise you for all of the ways that you are constantly caring for us, that you have mercy on us when we fall short. Lord, ask for the gift of prayer for all those who are listening, for a grace of praying well, a grace of praying better, for the hunger to grow in prayer. Lord, I ask that you give me the grace to to speak well and to pick uh, a few uh, a few flowers from the the rich uh, the rich garden of insights and teaching on prayer that come in our, our Catholic and uh, Christian tradition. Lord, help us not only to understand but to live uh, these beautiful insights that saints and popes and uh, and and others have taught us down through the ages. Lord, help us to be people of, of true prayer and ever-deepening prayer. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today on Sunday night, what am I doing? I'm trying to motivate you. Uh, I'm motivating you. Maybe I'm hopefully going to get motivated myself, because if you would dare to teach on prayer and you're not praying, guess what's going to happen? It's going to show up. There's one of the insights right there. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do in the course of the program. Let me lay it out for you first. In the first uh, section of the program, the first segment, about 15-ish minutes long, I'm going to just take out a grab bag of insights related to prayer that come from a variety of uh, sources I'll mention them as I as I go. And then in the second, third, and fourth segments, I'm going to talk about the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. This is the the three stages of the interior life. And when, when I talk about growing in prayer, I'm talking about growing towards ever deeper union with the Lord. And in our tradition, this has been mapped out by great saints and has... Uh, been deepened and, and through the teaching of great saints on these three different stages of the interior life, the stages of growth in prayer. And uh, the the stages are uh, the, the purgative way, the illuminative way, the unitive way. And, and in each of them, there's a particular type of prayer and insights connected to that type of prayer that are um, relevant. And, and so I'll focus in in those sections on those. But in this first section, I'm going to lay out some foundational insights, uh, again, that come from great sources in our tradition, and hopefully you'll be blessed by them. So the first one is from St. Thomas Aquinas, and he teaches, he teaches about teaching. He teaches about teaching, and he says that uh, teaching is the act of tradere alis contemplata, tradere alis contemplata. It's the act of handing over to others that which you have contemplated. It is passing on to others that which you have gazed upon. And one of the insights that flows from this, when St. Thomas Aquinas says this, is that if you're handing over just pure information, like, oh, you read some information in a book, sounds good, it strikes me as right, well, let me just parrot those words. 
let me take those words and, and use them as a quote, then I, I will I will be authentically bringing a message from the standpoint of I'm I'm not making stuff up. I'm I'm actually taking a quote and passing it on, but it's going to lack power. It's going to lack a sense of authority. It'll lack a sense of weightiness. One of the great uh, truths that comes in our tradition about prayer is that if you're not praying and you're talking to other people about prayer, people will see through it. It just won't be very striking at all. It'll, it'll come across flat and dry. I remember listening to a homily of a deacon, and he was teaching, he was in the homily teaching, uh, preaching, what I would call the gift message. He was talking about each, how each person is a gift, and as such is unique and precious and one of a kind, irreplaceable, and was unfolding this teaching. And at the end of Mass, when Carrie and I uh, were driving home, she said, was that the gift message? Was that John Paul II's theology of the person as gift? And I said, yeah, it was. She said, I've never heard it said so dull. <laughs> it was so flat. It was so, it, the words were all correct, but it lacked power. It lacked any sense of authority, the, the ability to move people forward. And so the first thing that I'll say is that feeling prompted to talk to you about prayer today is going to draw upon my own prayer life. It's going to draw upon not only my studies, but my own prayer life. And so if there's a weakness to this talk in your life, if, if it's not having a big impact, in part, it's because of the weakness of my prayer. And if there is any sense of movement that this might move you to take action to pray, it might stir you to pray, in part, that will be because of the way in which the Lord was able to use these truths that were living in me, they were alive in me, to be able to uh, come across. They were able to um, uh, be, be radiant, is, is the word. Uh, there's a, a radiance to our life of faith. And I've been thinking about this more recently. I've been thinking about the fact that there are things that I have known, but the, and, and let's call them truths, right? Correct facts, true knowledge. But I've had a new level of insight into these truths in such a way that they had a particular vitality to me inside of me that I didn't quite get before, and 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 it was it had to do with this idea of appreciation, right? It wasn't alive in me the way it's alive in some other people, and it was like, oh, okay, I need to be patient. I need to be patient with others and with myself if I'm not appreciating. The, like the passion that people have for certain positions they're taking. Because it means, most likely, that that's a, that is a, a reality for them that has a great vitality. So, for instance, 
I was thinking the other day that the Protestant Reformation with Luther, you know, his 95 theses, putting them on the door of the church um, and standing against the, the bishops in Germany in the early 16th century, that this Protestant Reformation was a catastrophe. And it was as if for the first time, that idea that it would be appropriate to call the Protestant Reformation the Protestant catastrophe, that it was a catastrophe that so many people were broken away from the Catholic Church. And it, it, it was like this idea had never lived inside of me with much vitality. Even though I, I bump into Catholics all the time who have a very, very strong conviction about the truth of the faith, the Catholic faith, as, as uh, the, 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 what the Catholic Church has been entrusted with is the fullness of the truth and the, the fullness of the means of salvation through the sacraments, through the hierarchy, uh, through the priesthood, that through these realities, through the, through the teaching entrusted, the deposit of the faith, that this is an inheritance that is meant for all followers of Christ. And it's a catastrophe that my Protestant brothers and sisters alive today, the great majority of them, don't have access to the Eucharist, like the Orthodox do and uh, certain other um, uh, separated brethren may have elements, sacramental elements like baptism, uh, even holy matrimony. But the losses, the losses that are part of their life journey as followers of Christ is tremendous. It's a catastrophe. They don't have access to confession. They don't have access to communion. They don't have access to the 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 hierarchy of the church, the institutional church. And and that's a tremendous sadness. And I'm saying to you that that was alive for me in a new way um, just in the last few days. I just hadn't really, it hadn't lived inside of me like that. Does that make sense? Hadn't lived inside of me like that. And so I, um, I've come to just appreciate that there will be truths in our life of faith that people won't get until they've experienced it. And people won't get it not only until they've experienced it, but until it's like sunk into their, the depths of their being so that it, it, the truth has taken root in their being and it's it now going to blossom forth into their lives. In some ways, that's what I'm really excited about tonight with this prayer meeting that we're having um, here, not at our house, at, at some friends that, that have moved here and they're opening their house, and we're having this prayer meeting, and 6.30 to 8.30, we're going to have some time of praise and worship. And I I felt a little bit uncomfortable thinking, well, there are a lot of Catholics who've never experienced charismatic praise and worship, people praising God with full voice, and people being open to the Holy Spirit stirring the gifts of the Spirit in the midst of these people, and including uh, gifts of sensing, discerning, interpreting. Well, what's the Lord saying here? What's the, what's, what's the Lord communicating to us? 
These are powerful things, but they're also foreign and a bit awkward, a bit strange for some, and um, and it, it can be off-putting for others. And yet, I I shouldn't downplay or doubt that the power of God will also be at work moving hearts and minds to become open to what the Lord is doing in this time of prayer to help awaken faith, to deepen faith, and to make the truth about praise, that form of prayer, alive in them. That It'll awaken the truth that the Holy Spirit lives within them in a whole new level because they will have experienced it. it it'll be a living truth. It'll have a vitality. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That the idea that the, the scriptures are the word of God, a living word, and the Lord is waiting to communicate himself to you, that too will be encountered in our prayer meeting. I, I'm just really excited about this. Wait a minute. These are truths that will take flesh. The word will become flesh. And we can watch God awaken faith and deepen faith. So today, so I'm talking about prayer. I'm talking about drawing from this rich tradition in prayer. And in, in many ways, what I'm hoping for is a greater sense of vitality, that you won't just hear correct insights taken from our tradition, but these insights will take root, and they'll, they'll gain a vitality in you, a vitality that you will then uh, long not only to live yourself, but to hand on to others, to make real for others. So uh, that's part of what I'm happening. Oh, and I am going to be giving some teaching each, um, each week, uh, and we'll have a testimony each week with the idea that um, many Catholics are just hungering for good, solid teaching to help them live their lives as disciples of Jesus Christ today. It's definitely one of these things that is um, coming to the forefront that um, lay people are increasingly challenged to stand up and be visible salt, light, and leaven in the world today. That it's it, this is this is an age of the laity when the church faces the world, not bishops and priests. Bishops and priests will continue to have their role as leaders within the church, but as the church faces the world, as we in our own communities face the world, it's going to be up to us lay people to stand up, speak out, and push back against the world, the flesh, and the devil that are coming to attack our lives and undermine our faith. Back in a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Talking about prayer, 
talking about uh, beautiful truths taken from our tradition on prayer. I mentioned that in this segment of the program, I'm going to talk about the first stage of the spiritual life. It's called the purgative stage. And when you hear that word purgative, you immediately think of purging, right? Purgatory, purging. It's about being cleansed by fire. Well, what has to be cleansed by fire? And what does that have to do with prayer? Well, prayer has to do with growing in our union with God. Did you hear that? Prayer isn't simply a human activity, but it's a human divine interaction. Ooh, that's really cool. It's it's an interaction between God and us. Prayer is your communing and communicating with God. And when you're communicating with God through prayer, you're doing so as a member of the body of Christ. And that also means that you will be communicating in some ways, experiencing a kind of spiritual connecting with the saints in heaven, the church triumphant, the saints, uh, the those souls who are who are in a place of purgation, the church suffering, that's those souls in purgatory, as well as the body of Christ here on earth, the church militant. And so our prayer, important truth here, our prayer is not only important for our own going deeper into the spiritual life, going deeper into our union with God, because that's, that's the goal. The Lord longs for a deeper union with you. Why? That means a deeper communication of his love, his life, his truth, his joy, his peace, all of these good things that are part of the inheritance that is, that is yours. God longs to pour into your life. Jesus has in store for you. He wants to pour it into you. And the, um, the, the reality is that this happens through prayer, through our taking time to be set apart and to be alone with God and to, to talk out loud. There, there's, well, there's the first stage. Purgation has to do with cleansing those things, removing the obstacles so we can advance further on the path. Let me say that again. Purgation is that stage in prayer that's the beginning stage that gets us launched into the life of the life of prayer, the spiritual life. And in order to get launched well, the first stage primarily emphasizes the need to purge those things that keep us bound up, bound up at the level of the flesh, the, our fallen dimension or bound up at the level of the visible, the visible world around us. God is the creator of this world, and God is at work through what he has created. But our communion with God is a communion with God who is a pure, infinite, perfect spirit. And this infinite, perfect spirit who is God created us, body and soul. He's created us such that we who are created in his image, are made to be in union with him. And the things that are of the senses, the senses meaning sight, sound, hearing, I'm sorry, sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell, these five senses are things that are connected to the visible material world. And if we allow ourselves to be caught up in 
the the goodness and the beauty and the truth of the things of this world accessible through our senses, then they will crowd out. They will crowd out the the the, the capacity, the space, the availability for us to go deeper in our union with God. And so the great saints have talked about the need to purge or to die to self by having these different senses die to the things that we would find satisfaction in. So for instance, the things that are pleasing to the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the smells, the tastes, and the touch, the softness, the pleasantness of those things. All of those things, if we find satisfaction in them, in the things we're looking at, and the things that we're listening to, then guess what? If we find satisfaction in all of these things, uh, things that are stimulating and things that are simply enjoyable and entertaining, and if we find all of the fulfillment of our senses in these things, we're crowding out God. We're crowding out the going deeper into the spiritual path. And so what does it mean to die to self? Well, what that means is that we are going to be invited by the Lord to, uh, let's keep it really simple, turn off the television, shut down the computer screen, put down the smartphone, turn off the video game, the other handheld devices, all of these other sources of media, and sit quietly in solitude and in simplicity. Did you hear that? Do you have any idea how much our spiritual lives would grow our prayer lives would grow if we were to limit, diminish, or even eliminate for a time access to the media. And, I, and I, I'm not picking on technology, but I'm highlighting it for a simple reason. Almost every single person who are he- who's hearing my voice gets it. Almost every one of you gets the fact that technology and what it has allowed, permitted, enabled, has crowded out God significantly. It is not helping our our spiritual lives in the traditional mode because it, it offers things that are far too pleasing to our sight, to our hearing, to our, um, our, our uh, touch. It's way too satisfying to sit passively and allow ourselves to be satisfied with videos and and songs and uh, entertainment of that nature. And if we were to fast from that, if we were to say, no, I'm going to deny myself that, we will see just how attached we are to, to the things of this world. And the, and the losses, the losses that come to our lives as a result. If we only had some idea of how much spiritual leadership is diminished, spiritual protection is, withers away, uh, spiritual, um, uh, spiritual guidance, uh, leadership provision, how much spiritual provision is diminished as well. We're called to lead, provide, and protect those under our care. 
and it's and it's shocking how much technology diminishes the holiness, the union that is ours with God. And as a result, our capacity to lead, provide, and protect those we love goes down. It's such a loss. So the purgative way says, ask the Lord for the grace to be aware of the blockages and purge them. Enter into a time of purging. So when it comes to praying in this purgative stage, the focus of the prayer is not contemplation, it's not meditation, it's what's called discursive prayer. Discursive prayer is praying words out loud. And so in discursive prayer, I encourage you to pick up the books of the Psalms or the Liturgy of the Hours. In the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the divine office, it's the prayers of the church. And the selections that the church chooses for her members to pray on a daily basis are very evocative, very powerful um, conveying of existential situations, deeply felt spiritual conditions and life conditions that will help, frankly, cleanse us, challenging us. And so I encourage you to engage in that discourse, that discursive prayer, through discovering the Liturgy of the Hours. Praying, at least, if you can, the Office of Readings. But if, if you can't, you know, uh, pray first thing in the morning at any time. You know, try praying morning prayer or evening prayer. Very powerful prayers. It takes about 15 minutes, but it's using my voice in a way that directs me to God. That'll have a positive impact. It will. It will have a positive impact. The second aspect of purging is that as we become aware of the bondage that we're in, of the need we have to die to self, we also come up against our own powerlessness, our own inability to do this. And so I want to encourage you to engage in another prayer that fits, that's very suitable in this first purgative stage, and that's repentance. Sincere, profound, life-giving repentance. And I'll, I'll just refer you back to a program I did a couple of weeks ago where I unfolded three different manifestations of repentance. It's the act of repenting. It's the act of, re- uh, of repenting a deed. God, forgive me, for I've sinned against you. I've done this. That's repenting of a deed. But then you can also renounce an attitude, a whole way of approaching things. Renounce it. Lord, I renounce the hold technology has on my life. Lord, strip it away. Lord, I renounce the amount of time I give to uh, uh, consuming content that comes through my smartphone or through my laptop or through uh, the television. I renounce it, Lord. I renounce that attitude I have of quickly finding comfort and satisfaction in the media and content that comes through technology. 
I renounce those things, Lord. And, and what's so powerful about renunciation is that you're not saying that any one particular thing was sinful, right? It might have been, and you can, re- you can repent of that deed. But sometimes that lets us off the hook until we realize that the whole approach we're taking towards that part of our lives is misguided. The whole approach, not any maybe one little profile, one particular aspect, but the whole way we're approaching it is off. I renounce that, Lord. Learn the gift of renunciation. I beg you, brothers and sisters, you want to grow in faith, you want to grow in prayer in this purgative stage. You want to get purged of these things that are holding you back from advancing in your spiritual life. Beg the Lord for the gift of renunciation. And then the third stage is uh, the stage of metanoia, the conversion of mindset. And that's just totally a gift from God. You can just cry out in that act of powerless, like, Lord, I see you so badly. I see the world and my life in such self-centered ways. I can be so selfish and arrogant, Lord. I can be so closed, and I don't know how to get out of it. Lord, I carry with me wounds from, from I don't know where and how long, but Lord, they're holding me back. Lord, there may be genetic dispositions from my own family tree that I'm carrying with me into the present that is stopping me from advancing in holiness. Please, Lord, convert my mindset. Please, Lord, I beg you. Okay, those are authentic prayers, and those are prayers that you can pray as part of the purgative stage, that purging of things. So it's it's a matter of, um, praying discursive prayer. So this is this is where having a prayer book, super helpful. This is where I mentioned Liturgy of the Hours, daily readings can also be a powerful way. I'll talk about that though in the next section. But really, some beautiful traditional book of prayers are wonderful. You could, again, here's the funny thing, you could use technology to get access to all this stuff. Just Google traditional Catholic prayers <laughs> or beautiful prayers of saints Catholic saints, and you'll get some amazing prayers that'll just blow you away. Oh yeah, but do that through the internet. Isn't that the paradox of this all? Um, if you don't, if you have access to a good local Catholic bookstore around you, don't even bother Googling it. Just go to your good local Catholic bookstore and get some of those um, traditional Catholic prayer books. And you start praying those prayers, and you will experience, again, a powerful dynamic where when you pray a big prayer, a, a prayer that it sounds like it's from a transformed soul, you pray that prayer and one of three things will happen. You will either pray it, recognize how not you it is, and you'll just stop. You're just like, I, I don't want to go there. I don't know how to go there. I'm not going to go there. And so you'll just stop praying it. The second is you'll just pray it and it becomes so familiar to you that it'll stop having an impact because you're just going through the motions. Or you'll become the prayer. You'll become the prayer. It'll become alive in you. Praying those prayers will begin to feed your soul, feed your mind, and it'll be used by the Lord to help bringing about that transformation, that purging, that purgation. The the purgative stage is something that stays with us as long as we live. One of the insights that comes from our tradition is that You don't leave a stage behind. You don't go from the purgative stage to the illuminative stage and you leave behind all purgation. No, you carry it along with you. And on the one hand, 
that can be a little bit discouraging. On the other hand, it's very realistic. It's very realistic. It's just, it's true. We know that. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. It's a real gift to be able to walk with you guys and uh, say a prayer. Just say a prayer for uh, this prayer meeting we're having tonight. I'll, I'll give you guys an update on it. We're actually going to post, we're going to record uh, the talks that uh, that I give at these prayer meetings and make them available online. Uh, isn't that funny again? I'm talking about the just the damaging effects of technology, and yet I will I can use it as an amazing gift to communicate to you guys um, the gift of um, these talks that I'm giving. I, I may, in fact, if the quality is good enough and the content is is solid enough, I'll just air it on Sound Insight. Uh, and so that there's a gift right there. In fact, someone said, I think it was Carrie who said it. She said, you know, I, I feel like we might be moving into an age of radio that is a, um, a time of increased utilization because of specifically because of the, the, the negative effects, the really damaging effects of, um, of smartphones and of the internet just how addictive and how, how dangerous it is and how damaging it is to so many people. Uh, in fact, we our boys going into 11th grade and 10th grade do not have smartphones. Uh, they both have iPod touches that are locked down, so they can't download apps onto them. They don't have access to um, uh, Safari, so they don't have access to, to surf the internet. Um, I think I've let they have a chess game on there, and I think I maybe let them have one game at a time for an innocent interactive multiplayer game. Um, and they have very limited time where they can use it. Um, but they're, they're asking about phones. And I said, yep, the time has come. Time to get a wise phone. And he said, no, you mean a smartphone? I said, no, I mean a wise phone. What's a wise phone? Well, a wise phone looks like a smartphone. It looks like an iPhone. But this wise phone has the ability to make phone calls, to send text messages, to, um, to provide GPS guidance, like map guidance to get places, and uh, take pictures. Maybe video, but at least take pictures. And that's it. I mean, maybe there's a calculator, maybe there's a clock. Uh, so it might have those functions as well. But there is no access to the internet, no smart, no um, so social media platforms, no apps. You can't put any apps on this smartphone. Uh, sorry, it's not a smartphone. It's a wise phone. And it uh, when we went to go order 
the Wise Phone months ago. It was all sold out, and it was like on back order. And so um, I didn't even try to order it yet. But uh, when I told the kids, yep, we're going to get you guys a Wise Phone, and the Wise Phone is going to be able to do less than the, uh, than the iPod Touch, which they have, which are years old, <laughs> years and years old. Uh, and they're like, well, we'll keep our iPod Touch. And then they were trying to say that they could do well without it. Oh, we don't, you know, Dad, we can use a phone and just put restrictions on it. And I said, do you have any idea how exhausting it is to manage those restrictions? It's exhausting. And I don't have the time or the attention or the the vigilance to monitor and manage all of the times that you're going to say to me, Dad, can you unlock this or unblock or unlock this feature so that I can do X, Y, Z? And then when that's all done, go back and uh, lock it back up again so that it can't do X, Y, Z. So it's just not worth it. I And I think that we are coming upon a time when we're going to need more and more parents to band together and say, let's make an agreement not to give our kids smartphones. Let's make an agreement to take our kids' smartphones away from them and let's put into their hands wise phones. And whether the wise phone is actually this name, wise phone, or whether it is some alternative to it. And and do it for the sake of the kids. Do it for the sake of their health and well-being. And and I I know what you're going to say. I know it. You're going to say you're not preparing them for the real world. And my response to you is Mary Grace Curran. So it, the reason I say that is that uh, she uh, graduated from high school and went uh, and did this missionary work for a couple of years and came back to our house after it. And she said, I can't believe how much time this family gives to technology between TV and laptops and smartphones. She says, it's ridiculous. And it was very prophetic word. It was hard for us to hear because Carrie and I, maybe especially me, we're thinking, hey, we're better than most. <laughs> We've got a pretty pretty good, you know, pretty much locked down in a lot of ways. And she's like, how much time do you guys spend on your phones? Look, you have your phone out right now. When we're talking, you're looking at your phone. And it's like this lack of awareness. And the point is, here she is, 22 years old, prophetically critiquing us, saying, Get off your phone. You don't need your phone. Push it away from you. Lock it down. My phone's in my room. I don't even need it here. Uh, And let's just be together. And how uncomfortable that has become as a routine. So I say this to you that you might think, well, if I do this, I'm not preparing my kid for the real world. Well, if you put your kid into the right parts of the real world, the right parts of the real world will be a life-giving world that will only confirm the fact that smartphones aren't really all they're made to be. They're not going to bring all that much life. In fact, they're likely to bring a lot more harm than good. So, okay, there's my little rant for the moment. But that actually brings me to the this next stage of the spiritual life, which is the illuminative stage. Because in the first stage, there's that that importance of purging us of the desires that are connected to the senses, our five senses. But you can see how that's very outward. That's very external. That's very much an outward-facing part of our beings. It's the bodily 
sensual part, the sensory, sensorial is the right word, sensorial part. Um, it's the part that grants us access to, to knowledge by external means. Well, we also have internal faculties or capabilities, the, the capacities of the soul. And the illuminative way is when we learn how to go and pay more attention to what's happening within, within us, inside of us, as compared to what's happening outside of us. And this brings up an important principle, part of our Catholic tradition, that the path beyond this world, that's called the path of transcendence, is through the path of imminence, or by going within. If you want to get beyond this world to God, and you want to go deeper into your communion with God, who is Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then it's a matter of turning within, going within oneself. And that's when prayer time becomes something more than sitting down and saying, okay, this is my time set aside for prayer, and I've got the book I'm going to read, I've got the, the prayers I'm going to pray in my prayer book, or the Liturgy of the Hours, or the Rosary, or some other external sensitized activity, singing songs. Those are all external. Well, the, you, the illuminative way is about illumination, enlightenment, and we're going to gain enlightenment by quieting our senses and going within and using our memory, our imagination, and our intellect to ponder the truths of God to ponder the gospel stories, to ponder powerful, beautiful texts that have been written by the saints and doctors of the church, by church councils and, and by popes. Uh, the, going and accessing this content, that's the path to enlightenment. If you want to experience a higher kind of joy, a deeper joy than the senses can bring, then contemplate the truth. St. Thomas Aquinas, in his Remedies for Sadness. What are some remedies for sadness? Well, he said chocolate was one, crying was another one, talking with friends is another one. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that he said would remedy sadness. But one of the things he said that would remedy sadness was contemplating the truth. And the reason was, was that sadness existed at the level of the passions or appetites, which is uh, a place in which our reality, our human reality, is in contact with the world around us. But contemplating the truth happens at a more interior, or what Aquinas says, a higher level. So the joy that we would experience by contemplating the truth comes at a different level, a more profound level, then the sadness is, even if the sadness is felt more intensively. And that's part of the, the great journey of our spiritual lives, is going deeper so that the joy that we encounter through the enlightenment, God's light that comes into our lives, will become a richer joy, a richer source of life than the external sadness or the external pleasures that we experience. All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, more sound insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. I really enjoy hearing from you. If you have a message for me about Sound Insight, or if I can be a blessing to you, serving you in your own time of discerning, like, God, what should we do with our home? What should we do about real estate? Should we stay? Should we go? Should we invest? Should we refinance? What are the options? I'm here to help. And it's no charge to you to set up a time to meet with me over Zoom or over the phone if you don't prefer that kind of video interaction. I just want to make it as rich and as valuable for you, but a free opportunity to talk with me and to discern. I pray with you, and then if that's comfortable for you, and then we talk it through. And I help you get clarity about here are the things that I'm seeing, here are the things that I'm discovering and have researched, and help you sort out what the right next step is for you. If I could be a blessing to you in that, you can go to drtomcurran.com and you can just request uh, a time to meet with me. I would love to do that. Seeking enlightenment, seeking illumination, that's part of life. That's part of uh, our own lives in terms of career path, educational path, well, path of of moving, for instance. Um, But it's more importantly, or fundamentally, more fundamentally, part of going deeper into our spiritual lives. So the path of illumination comes from, as I mentioned, engaging certain interior faculties, like the memory, the imagination, and the intellect. And how do we engage with those? Through an act of meditation, right? If, if the purgative way is about discourse, speaking prayer, spontaneously and in written prayers, uh, the path of illumination of going deeper in our union with the Lord is going to happen by us using those interior faculties. How? The woman at the well, John chapter 4. You can read the story of the woman at the well, and as you do, you ask that the Lord, in the reading of that scripture, would enlighten your mind. Holy Spirit, enlighten me. I seek the illumination that you bring into my, into my understanding, that gift of the Holy Spirit. I long to understand more fully, to have a deeper penetration into the mystery of your encounter with the woman at the well. Pray that. Say that. Or say something like that. It doesn't have to be perfect. The Lord's not like, uh, I just can't move in you now because you didn't say it in the right way. Uh, but in saying it like that, what does the Lord do? What are you saying is, okay, let me imagine, what would it be like the woman at the well? What's the well look like? Okay, Jesus is sitting. Where is he sitting? Is he off to the side? The apostles have left. The woman comes. What must have that scene been like when Jesus took the initiative and asked about water? And what was that interaction like when she came over and said, you know, um, you, you know what, what's the water that you have to offer me? This life-giving water of the Holy Spirit. And you can go through the entire passage of John 4 and have in your mind the imagination. You can be imagining the scene and at the same time drawing upon any insight that you have from the church's teaching about, for instance, whether it's a commentary on John 4, like using the footnotes or other uh, study guide helps. But you can also do that by understanding the themes that are there in your own formation and see how 
those come together. And you know what the Lord will do? Enlighten you. He'll bring a new light, a new insight into that scripture that you didn't have before. And the act of enlightening is part of how the Lord is deepening his union with you in love. He loves you enough to stream forth. The Father of lights pours down good gifts upon us. When we call upon the Lord, enlighten us, guide us, strengthen us, console us. When we pray that kind of prayer to the Holy Spirit, we're seeking his enlightenment. And in seeking his enlightenment, it's an amazing gift, right? What the Lord is doing. He's saying, um, I want to have a richer, more profound union with you. And I will do that by communicating to you in a way that you can understand. I know you. I know that you have a memory, an intellect. I know that you have an imagination. And I'm going to stir those capacities in you. Start exercising those capacities so that you can, in fact, um, grow in union with me, grow in a union of love with me. I tell you, you're, you will grow to love the Lord more fully by reading the scriptures. You will grow to love the Lord with a greater depth and, and a greater fervor by reading about the encounters that Jesus has with people in the Gospels. And then here's what you can do. You can say, Lord, make me that person. I want to be that person, Lord. And so every person that you're in, that Jesus encounters in the scriptures is just another way that he's going to encounter you. I'm not making this up. This is a beautiful, it's a, it's a type of Lexio Divina. You, you, many of you have heard that phrase, right? A divine reading of the scriptures. And, and it has to do with praying quietly and asking the Lord to speak to you through the scriptures. And he'll draw your attention to a word, a phrase, a part of the story. And you get drawn into it. And it's so powerful. That's the illumination stage. But then the Lord wants to take you even deeper beyond purgation, beyond illumination, but even as those to accompany you in your life, he wants to take you to the unitive stage, that stage of union and love. And when the great saints talk about that stage of the spiritual life, they talk about fire. It's not a cleansing fire, but it's a fervent fire. It's a yearning fire. It's a longing fire. It's a, it's a fire of devotion, it's that fire of passion for the Lord. And it's often a, a, an expressed in a deeper passion with the Lord, sharing in the Lord's passion. That becomes more manifest in the unitive stage as well. And if you think about it, you get it, right? As soon as we can get beyond the beginner stage, that beginner stage where we're still just like overcoming the desires of the flesh and the senses, denying ourselves, dying to them, so that we can rise to seek something deeper. And then we move to the proficient stage, right? In this intermediate stage, oh, in the intermediate stage, sorry. Um, we are becoming more proficient in prayer and we're gaining deeper enlightenment and we're growing stronger in our faith. But then we move into that level of, of mastery, that level of, of 
depth and maturity in prayer where we can sit quietly and not be disturbed by the senses of our bodies, not even disturbed by the movements of our intellect, our memory, or imagination. Even those become quieted. And now we move to the level of the heart, the center of our will, and the core of our being, where our own very I, our person, our spirit, dwells. And it's there that we will encounter a union of God's spirit and ours in the core of our being, in silence, in solitude, in stillness. It's gazing on the presence of the Lord and the Blessed Sacrament. That's the deepest dimension of prayer. And the Lord wants that for you. And you don't have to wait until you've been fully purged and fully illumined. No, you can start in on that on day one. Now, it's it's going to be difficult, but then day two comes, and then day three comes, and there are advances and they're falling back. But going deeper into prayer and into union with the Lord and becoming more authoritative, having a greater weightiness in our words requires contemplation. It requires the in-depth, uh, the, the profound uh, uh, appreciation, not appreciation, the, the profound a, um, uh, coming to appropriate, that's the word, to appropriate, to make one's own, the living God himself. It's that idea of, of a mutual embrace when you're hugging someone and someone's hugging you back, right? It's a mutuality. And that's what the Lord wants you to know that there's a mutuality that he longs to love you and for you to know that you're loved and to encounter that love. Let's pray for that. Let's pray that we'll go deeper into prayer. Let's pray for whatever ways that we need to to be able to get launched into a stage of purgation, a stage of illumination, or a stage of union. All right, I'm up against the end of my program. Please join me tomorrow. I'm sure I'm going to talk a bit about what happened at the prayer meeting. But I also have a guest, a guest that's going to talk to me about the gift of aging and aging well as a person of faith. You don't want to miss it tomorrow on Sound Insight.